let's say that's general white collar executives and I'll use a hundred we get a hundred responses and if candidates can think of it like the Australian Tennis Open there are a hundred competitors going into that open but only one will end up with the trophy. So what happens as we go through it? We have to screen for most likely fit and it's always a competitive set. Hi, I'm Renata Bernardi and this is the Job Hunting Podcast where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow and let's dive right in. Anita Zimmer is the Managing Director of Slade Group, a recruitment, executive search and HR consulting company founded by her husband, Jeff Slade, who is the executive chairman of the company. In addition to having the top operational role in the company, Anita is a member of its advisory board and participates actively in every single part of the business. And since I first met her many years ago, she has always found the time to be an executive director in a non-profit organization. These days, she sits on the board of the Wheeler Center, a leading cultural institution in Australia dedicated to the discussion and practice of books, writing and ideas. In a career spanning roles working in government, not-for-profit, public company and SME sectors, Anita has a broad view of the landscape of Australians at work. So I knew that this interview with her would be so rich, but I did not expect it to be as great as it was. I have a feeling this is going to be a very successful, downloadable podcast episode for the Job Hunting Podcast. It is so rich with data, advice, insight, recommendations, ideas, compassion, pragmatism, and most importantly, also hope. And I think that it will be very beneficial for everyone who is currently looking for work, as well as those of us who are interested in career development, advancement and progression and want to keep a finger on the pulse on what's going on so that we can make better plans for our future. So even if you're not currently unemployed and looking for work, I would strongly recommend that you spend this next hour listening to Anita's wise words and so many good tips that I had trouble writing my notes because I usually try to make some summary of what the best bits were to help with my blog and to help with the promotion. But frankly, if I were you, I would get a notepad and be ready to take notes because there are many good advice here for you to take and to use in your future planning. Before we get on with the interview, just a quick message to let you know that you can now book a LinkedIn audit with me. It's going really well. It's a very good investment for both of us to work together and improve your LinkedIn profile. If you haven't listened to last week's podcast number 34, I strongly encourage you to do so because LinkedIn is a very important part of job hunting and career development in 2020. It's the 
really only way for you to be out and about connecting with people and making important professional connections that will last a lifetime. And if you do them well now, it could be very beneficial for your future career prospects. So having a great LinkedIn profile is the first step to doing that. And I'd love to help you out. Please check my website to see how the LinkedIn audit works. And I will also have a link in the episode show notes so that you can quickly find that link, check the website and see if you would like to do that with me and and make a booking. I'd love to hear from you and review your LinkedIn profile. That would be a wonderful opportunity for me to get to know you and for us to work together. Now, without further ado, here is Anita Zima. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I certainly did. Ciao for now. How have you been? I've been well. It's a pity this is audio only because I love your blouse. (laughs) (laughs) No one is seeing it but me. And this is going to be the beginning. So let's let's start now because I like to start casually anyway. Lovely. Yeah. Lovely. yeah. And I, starting casually also means I need to warn you about something. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember when you dropped by a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. there were uh, workers across the road cutting cement. Mm-hmm. They, are now on, they are now on my side of the street. Oh, okay, cutting cement. Okay. <laughs> They started cutting my side of the footpath yeah. yesterday. So yeah. just letting you know that if okay. it starts, I'm the one, you have moved around your office for this podcast. If it starts, I'll have to go upstairs. So, That's fine. Uh, Anita, so nice of you to accept this invitation. And we've known each other for a while. I really admire you as a search executive. I've always enjoyed working with Slade both as a client and as a candidate over the years you know I've worked with Slade for 20 years and I think it's very common for people like me to work on both sides of the fence Mm, but I have no idea what you do you know on your day-to-day and (laughs) I've always wanted to ask you so that was my first question for you you know what is a day like for you if I were to fly on the wall what it would look like like many people, every day is different. I, I, I can't tell you that any day is the same, but I'm a great one for lists. So I guess as in terms of a history, it would have been great to collect all my lists and then I could just go day by day. And I still keep a manual list. Early in my 20s, I worked with a really great leader who said you can't plan your day unless you have a list. And I know people have all sorts of online pieces but I still do my list every night. So in the morning, I know what's important and what has to be attended to. And it's one of those things that guided me through because at any one time, I can have 10 to 20 pressing assignments. And they are sometimes full-blown or in early stages or in business development or candidate-related. And unless I have a focus, I I can't keep all the balls in the air. And so I'm somebody who works pretty fast but perhaps because I'm pretty organised in the background is maybe my thinking. Sometimes it's also just in time management and I <laughs> laugh at how I've just got there, but I deliver. <laughs> so, and also through, through COVID, I think we've all become much more comfortable about our lives in terms of our personal and our professional lives. And the other thing that I do every day, and I will get into the detail, is I think about... Where am I going to fit my exercise in? 
when am I going to get my leafy greens and my vitamin C? And they're just some fundamental healthy things that I always think about because when things get really busy, those things can go to the wayside and unless I have my health, I can't function. So that's just a funny little quirk of mine. That's great. And, and this, and this morning I am in the office. Um, we work in the CBD when we're in the office, yeah. but I've been working down at Shoreham and in Richmond. And so I took my exercise by walking to work this morning. Wow. Yeah. You know, looking at your LinkedIn profile with all of the open-ended appointments that you have, it's mm -hmm. hard to see how you can fit in anything else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it would be interesting also to explain because the podcast is listened by candidates. Right, mainly people that are interested in their careers, they are currently job hunting, they are ambitious for their careers. And it, it would be interesting to, for us to go through the different types of recruitment opportunities that are out there because your company deals with everything from temping and contracting all the way to executive search. And I think it reflects on your different appointments. Am I right? That's, that's exactly right, Renata. Can you, can you yes. describe each one for us? Yeah, I might, I might just explain the, the broader slate group. Is that all right? Yeah, sure. We've got four different, well, probably five, I would say, broadly, five different parts of the business, and they're all related to recruitment and HR. And when we say recruitment, that's an internal term. Really, for a candidate, it's, a, it's around work and employment opportunities and how we work. So that's it broadly covers everything. And if I start at the contracting and temporary side of it, that is casual. We do some, we have some extraordinary contracts in areas that people wouldn't necessarily be aware of. For example, and I don't know if this is too much detail, but when we go to the airport and um, there might be perhaps a sniffer dog smelling our luggage if we've got an apple, if we're going to Tasmania or something, when we could. Uh -huh. Those dogs are bred by Australian Border Force and they have a whole Border Force dog breeding program and we have a contract to provide the casual, I guess they're the, the animal carers for oh, breeding right. dogs. So it's an I have a candidate for that. <laughs> okay. Great. So some extraordinary niche contracts like that. Yes, yes. As well as some casual relief teachers and sessional teachers, and then obviously all the natural white-collar temporary executive interim staff that we're more familiar with in our professional lives. See, I never knew that no, about no. Slade because it's only applied for senior exec roles. No, and they're obscure contracts which suit a particular niche of both candidate and client. Yeah. And because we have, the, I guess, the quality processes that allow us to serve that and manage the candidates and the payrolling and the the duty of care that comes with that, we can do that. And then we have, you know, whether it's support staff or marketing managers or interim CFOs, all those contract interim appointments that we do, that comes under what we call the interchange bench. So it's on and off as and when required. And we think at the moment that's probably going to be a growth area because as organisations come back at some point, it's going to be quite tentative and it's toe in the water. Let me take a small risk without an ongoing commitment. And that will be a relief for candidates because I don't think anybody would knock back a six-week or six-month contract if there's the opportunity to work and with an opportunity to perhaps do more. 
Yes, I wanted you to address all of that because the situation that we're in, if we're unemployed during 2020 lockdown and we have the opportunity to reconsider our career paths and what we want to do in the future, we can dream, we can change careers, we can start over, we can breed dogs for the, <laughs> for the security <laughs> if that's what we want to do. You know, like we, we really have this opportunity of a lifetime with yeah. sectors disappearing to really rethink what's important to us and what we want to achieve for the rest of our lives. Yes, that's, that's absolutely right. And I think the longer this goes on, the more we might have to do our shift in thinking. And I think it'd be lovely to talk about that a bit more, Renata. Yes, yeah, sure. Just finishing off with the Slade Group piece, our general executive selection area, which is white-collar professional staff across a, a myriad of different professions and sectors and that's probably what we're known for. The, the Trans Search business is a global executive search partnership that's made up of around about 60 boutique executive search firms globally. And they use a product called Orchestra, which is about fit. And that's international work with very high-level senior appointments. We have a talent mapping business called Yellow Folder. And that's an interesting consulting business. So in terms of, inf it's about, we talked about work before, it's information about the workplace, very broadly and very high level. So for example, you might be a global enterprise and you know that you have a particular role that is very high risk and high value. And if that person were to move on, have a change of heart, get hit by a bus, God forbid, then where is the talent that can quickly fit that role? And there are organisations that are looking at succession planning for these key roles and keeping a watching brief so that they are protecting their business. It's quite an interesting research piece. And the other piece is the HR consulting piece. So we have a partnership with Stillwell, so Slade Stillwell, and that's a team of four org sites that do any piece that an organisation needs from position description development through to teams, leadership development, learning to have difficult conversations, psychological assessments, you name it, they do it. So that's, we're all about the landscape of work. Mm. It's amazing. I had no idea that you still had the York site team mm. work done. I used to do a lot of work with Slade back in mm. the early 2000s with Alison Knight and Gavin yeah. Sharp, remember them? I do yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah. Very well. So they were my partners in crime, yeah. developing leadership programs for the MBA at Monash University. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. That is interesting to see how that then gives uh, recruiters and people that work in this industry of yours a really good intelligence of what's going on in the market. So when the, the clients mm. or the candidates come to you, mm. you have a lot of background information that yeah. the candidate doesn't even know that you do. Yeah. And it's really interesting. I have a client who I've been working with for a few weeks now, and now she's got to a point where she's meeting headhunters and recruiters. And she told me something that I don't think she realized she didn't realize how difficult the job was. Mm -hmm. You know, she met so many and they were all so good at giving her advice and giving her feedback on her resume and mm -hmm. telling her how the market was, was moving. And she's like, I did, had no idea. You know? <laughs> 
So, but many people don't have that experience with job hunting and they mm. also complain a lot about the radio silence from mm. their perspective when mm. they approach recruiters or headhunters. Mm. Explain to a candidate how the process works from your side of the business so that they can understand and understand that, you know, there is a process going on that there won't be communication all the time. Am I right? It, it is. It's a really difficult one for us to manage mm-hmm. because it's, it's one to many, but those many are all individuals. And that's the hard thing that we have to constantly manage. So let me take not an executive search approach, but if we take a general advertised recruitment approach, whether it's through LinkedIn or Seek or our own website. That's the best and, example, yes. And, and let's say that's general white-collar executives, right? professionals. And, we, and I'll use 100. We get 100 responses. And if candidates can think of it like the Australian Tennis Open, there are 100 competitors going into that Open, but only one will end up with the trophy. And so what happens as we go through it We have to screen for most likely fit and it's always a competitive set. So if you were in a a village which was dying for candidates and there were a lot of jobs, then probably people would make you fit into the role available. However, when you've got a role and there are 10 of those 100 who are an easy fit towards the brief, Mm -hmm. then 90 90 of those people are simply going to get an email and say, no, thanks. And that's hard. And that feels like rejection, but you mustn't take it personally. It's just that in this role, there were other people's backgrounds that looked like it would be an easier fit. And so then we left with the 10 people. And those 10 people can, can assume that they will get maybe an acceptance of application email and then a phone call. And that's why I said to you, Renata, it's really about making the candidate, when they hear that word, let me call you back, that's a really good sign, okay? Because that's when you think I'm in the mix. Yes. And that's where I've, where I've hit the nail on the head in terms of my background and my potential to fit this role. And from those 10, we as consultants have to make sure that we manage expectations because one of 10 is still only 10%. Yes. You've got a far greater chance of not being successful than you have of being successful. So I sometimes say we're in the art of rejection. And that is really sad. But for every person I say you, we would like to go to reference check with you because you've been, you know, the, you're the preferred candidate. I have to have nine difficult conversations with those people that aren't going to have that happen to them. And so again, that's a really deep sense of rejection because by the time I have to make that call, we've built up a really good trusted relationship mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have considered you for that role if I didn't think that you could do that role. But I'm not the final arbiter and decision maker. So I can bring you to the table, but the employer decides who they want to take through. Yes. But they're saved, they're saved the heartache and the grief of building up those relationships and having to say, I'm sorry, no. Does it get to you? Is it hard at days? Um, it is but I have to learn to compartmentalise. Yes. And I find, it, I find it particularly hard when I know that a client has really sweated it out between maybe the last two or three mm-hmm. and it could have gone anyway. And it's just, it's not an exact science as we all know. Yes. And so that's somebody's livelihood. 
at somebody's, you know, it's a sliding doors moment. What could have been, what couldn't have been, but I can't own it. Otherwise I'd be in a curled up in a corner. <laughs> yes. Do you think that the recruitment and selection process as it is done today is still the best way of putting a candidate inside a job? I spoke about this yesterday on a webinar with Becky and I think we've got a much heightened and increasingly heightened awareness of diversity. Okay. So diversity, just some stats, and we're talking about racial diversity here particularly, but let's talk about it across all areas of diversity. But in Australia, for example, 75% of us, and I'm one of them, have an Anglo-Celtic or European background, and nearly 25% of us have a non-European Anglo or Indigenous background. And yet, this is the startling stat, in nearly 97% of senior executives interviewed, they all had Anglo-Celtic or European backgrounds. Something's wrong with the system. Yes. That doesn't even take into situations where you've got gender identity or disabilities or any of the other issues that come into diversity, but just on race alone. Mm. And so how we are bringing people into an organisation and what the criteria is, you know, there are all sorts of things like the halo effect and the horn effect and, you know, the problem of agreement in panels and our conscious and un unconscious biases are stopping organisations from improving the diversity that we have in the organisations in Australia. And that plays out to all sorts of things in our community. Mm. If we end up with enclaves of races that aren't integrated through the workplace, it's problematic. So we do have to increase our awareness. So I have said, and it's a little bit of a strange one, but I had a candidate who had a very unusual surname and I can't remember what it was, but I suggested to him that he change his first name to Billy or something. I, don't, I think it was Billy. Just because I know people have a lot of prejudices and biases about how they read CVs. And it's unfair, but until we educate, until we set targets, until we sit with our uncomfortable truths, it's going to continue on. Knowing you, I can imagine how uncomfortable this must have been, but mm -hmm. I also understand, and I've been in that situation as well, that your job is to convert people into jobs and you that's, just that's want right. to get this person over the line. Yeah, that's right. Not, you know, let's leave changing the world, you know, for tomorrow and you just that's want right. to help this one person and you know that's that right. this will make a difference. It's yeah. horrible, isn't it? And if we, if we need to do workarounds for a while, I'm happy to do the workarounds yes. until there's a universal sense that it's not okay. Because the other thing is the numbers are showing us that diversity in senior executive levels leads to better performance at an EBIT line. So the data's there. It's in the age this morning. I don't know if you saw it. Well, I saw oh. the gender numbers. Yep. Mm, yeah. The gender again, numbers, yes. Again, I feel like that's been so done. It's almost like a fact. I know. <laughs> I believe like... it's still been spoken about. <laughs> <laughs> but then I heard, but then I heard, Renata, a news item this morning. I thought, did I hear that right? Talking about people who are having to stay in hotels on their, in their isolation on returning. And it's this many tourists and this many travellers returning home and businessmen. I went, did I just hear something right? They said businessmen. Businessmen. What? So yeah. they're deeply entrenched. This language makes a big difference. It mm. does, doesn't it? Yes. Mm. It's men that does business, not women. Yeah. 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 Got it. Yeah. Now, in 
we mentioned the example of a LinkedIn job. I am seeing LinkedIn jobs still showing up, but I'm also seeing the statistics showing that for the past two months, they, the jobs have been greatly reduced in numbers, the job ads on LinkedIn. Mm. I know you have different numbers from probably Seek or Indeed. I would like you to share with us, you know, what's happening right now. And if you have any forecast or your best guesstimate for the next few months for those who are job hunting and looking mm. for work, what is it that they should be expecting to see in the next months ahead? Renata, I'd love to speak to your potties and say it's all going to be great and helpful. But this week I have to say I'm feeling quite bearish again. Mm. I think the data is heading south, not north. And I think we have to be prepared for a very tough time. And the reason I'm saying is that none of us have a crystal ball. If I'm proved wrong when somebody listens to this in October, I would rather they laughed at me yeah. and said, oh, my God, how wrong was she, than somebody who listens to it and go, gosh, I'm glad I was prepared for the worst. I agree. There was an article on LinkedIn and they were interviewing a very, you know, good consultancy company and they said, oh, it will all be much better in six to 18 months' time. <laughs> That's a window. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, yeah. one yeah. of the big four firms saying oh. between six and 18 months, things will yeah. turn around. And I'm yeah. like, likely I could have said that. Anybody yes. could have said yeah. that, but, you know, yeah. that's what but you do. I, but I, I agree with you. And I think it's better to be bearish in our thoughts because mm -hmm then you make more conservative financial mm -hmm. planning as well. Mm -hmm. And I know it's really tough, yeah. but it's better to be able to stretch out whatever budget you have, whatever funding you have for this long runway of unemployment, mm -hmm. which is turning out to be 2020, yeah. rather than be too optimistic and then run out of money quickly. No. And so in terms of preparing myself, if, if I'm currently not employed and I'm in a sort of a mid-career stage because the under-30s have been hit the hardest. So I'm not sure that I'll even go into the under-30s, Renata, because that's a whole other challenge. Okay. Let's go and over 30s. That's really tough. But if you're mid-career now, I'm going to give you the bad news and then I'm going to give you the opportunities perhaps as, as our observations. And, I, and I'm not saying this is set in stone. I'm just making the observation about if you follow the money, you obviously often get your answer in terms of employment. So what's down? Even if we start with not-for-profits, donations are down. So they're going to be severely challenged. Higher education. We know in Victoria and I think Australia-wide, it's not going to be that different. I'll just give you the Victorian numbers. The foreign student market is worth $12 billion to the universities. That's 220,000 students. And that directly, Im directly impacts about 80,000 jobs. Arts and culture is down. Tourism is down. Hospitality is down. Building and construction, the forecasts that the big building and construction businesses have, this is outside of infrastructure for commercial and domestic, down. Infrastructure, the governments are trying to do what they can do around that. Professional services are going to go down too because when there are less deals being made and when there's less growth, people stop using professional services firms more because they just don't need them. Sport and leisure, it's challenged and down. 
Superannuation funds, I'm not quite sure about because of the, the nature of the withdrawal. So there's a lot more administration, but a lot of funds have had a lot of money taken out of them. So what does that mean? So year on year now by May, the employment job ads are down 50%. In some areas, they're down 70 and 80%. So that's the tough areas. And I'm sure there are plenty more. Let's just talk about recruitment, you know, our business. It's been hit hard. And I know that there's some early talk now about what are we going to do about JobKeeper? Because if everybody moves on to JobSeeker and they have JobSeeker, I don't know how can we can avoid a depression. I just the numbers don't add up to me. Yeah. So that's we can't control the future from a government's perspective, but that's some um, just be aware and a little bit alarmed about what the future could look like. Mm. Conversely, there are some opportunities. And so the areas there are where I think sectors and professions and work, the the trades are still calling out for people. It's interesting, isn't it? Yes. So the plumbers, the hairdressers, the electricians, there's just there's just a lack of people going into those. We couldn't wait to go back to the hairdressers, could we? I know. <laughs> we couldn't. Look at me with my fringe. I can't live without my hairdresser. <laughs> I tried cutting cutting my fringe without her. It didn't work. That's when I got bad. there, my fringe was on an angle. <laughs> she had to fix it. <laughs> She's still fixing it. It still needs another two months before we can get it back. <laughs> to Looking all right. <laughs> My thing, I, I couldn't wait to go to the Padan. You know, yeah. um, you know, but you're right. And you those know. are things that we can afford to buy as well. It's that, that lipstick. Yeah, it's the lipstick mentality, economy. isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Lipstick dollars. economy. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So digital IT, ITC, they're still hot spots. And it was interesting when Dan Tien said this morning that they're going to be increasing the cost of arts degrees, commerce degrees and law degrees, but they're going to be reducing the cost to students and opening up student numbers in maths, nursing, IT, etc. because that's an ag and that's where the growth is and agriculture is a big one. Yeah. I've said before, if you can move or if you can change industries, I would look at ag. I know from last year, I think in ag, there was eight vacancies for every person wanting to work in ag. So I, I do think there is work there if you want to work in the ag, if you can uproot yourself and your family. But again, in mid-career, often we're settled with family and commitments. So there's a challenge. And huh? ag, ag can be tech. Ag, Agriculture ag can, be, can be tech. Oh if you, there, there's been some fantastic data online mm. about the 50 biggest ag businesses in Australia. There are, and not, not all of them Australian-owned, but they are big employers and we know, follow the money, we need to eat. Ag all ends up on our plate somewhere. So that's a sector that I think is very interesting. And the tech, as you said, in ag is really interesting. Oh, it's so exciting. Mm. One of the most interesting aspects of my last job at Monash University was to boost the ag tech team there and help mm. them make some connections and mm. a partnership with Bosch to mm. also allow Bosch to flourish post the shutdown of the automotive industry in Australia. Yes. We needed to have something else to focus on and grab onto. Mm. So mm. that partnership with Bosch and Monash is still going and very interesting. And it's yeah. all about ag tech. We yeah. went to San Francisco. We went to the Silicon Valley to visit a whole bunch with Austrade. We oh. went to a conference. We saw, and with a lot of startups as well. So you don't have to be big. You can be small. 
Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting to see mm -hmm. the advancement in that area. Yeah. And some of that goes into the biosciences as well. Yes, okay. So it's a, it covers a lot of different areas. What does it mean, though, for people who are in these sectors that have shut down completely almost and they may need to transfer their skills? Do you see this year as a year where people reskill or are many of the skills transferables? I have, I'll call my view, I think I have a sophisticated view, but I wouldn't say that a lot of employers share that view because underlying skills and underlying capability and aptitude and motivation means you can transfer across to a whole lot of different areas. Remember, skills are learned. If I'm mapping the seafloor, I'm sure if I sat next to somebody working that machinery for two weeks, you know, I probably would pick it up and then I'd the learn. The best candidates have that mentality, don't you find? Yeah, they do. Yes. But for your candidates, Renata, we have to make sure that the employers see it the same way. Okay. And for you in your work with candidates, it's helping the candidates with their narrative and their interpretation for the employer who's buying their services as an employee. So that's where communication skills do come in and you would be helping them unpack what those core capabilities and attributes are so that they can demonstrate that to an employer. But I also am a great believer in adapting your CV to a role, making yes. it easy. It's, tr it's true what they say about us as recruiters, I'm afraid to say. We often do spend 10 seconds looking at a CV because we're just looking, we're, we're scanning it for something that we know. It's a little bit like many people who are adept at their particular role or, or skill or focus. It's, if, you, if you ask Djokovic how he plays a four, forehand shot, he mm -hmm. cannot break it down. It's intuitive, right? But if we can learn how to break down what our underlying skill set is and capability we can, we can then adapt our CVs for particular roles, knowing what, what an organisation is looking for. Is it very hard that resumes are not standard and that people send you the resumes and they're very different from each other um, when you're it, scanning it in 10 seconds? It is. It is. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I'm sure some candidates miss out because they don't have that formula right. What is the best formula or template that you like to see? Is there, is there a best one or sometimes you're surprised by something that's completely out of the box and you go, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> What's yeah, the sometimes, best thing? sometimes I do, but I couldn't tell you what that is. There must be something about it. Yeah. But I always look for a couple of things. This is what makes it easy for me. Okay. One is name your organization and your job title. And just because you work, worked in an organisation for five years doesn't mean that I know about that organisation. I know a lot no. about the, Bingo. The, I always say that. Just give me two lines. You know, ABC company does XXX with XXX. That's all I need to know. What sector it's in, what it does, etc. Just two lines. Give me a role. And then I want to see your, I want three or four bullet points under your responsibilities and then I want three or four bullet points under your achievements because I'm, I've become fairly hard-nosed over the years. There's, and this is a terrible way of looking at it, but there's labour and capital. Mm. And so when capital is buying labour, it wants to know, and I'll talk about it as a sort of an economic term, it wants to know what is the value that they are buying. So 
I can't bear it when I see responsibilities and there are 12 bullet points and it goes on for a page and I think, oh my gosh, this person does not have a commercial head. So the responsibilities is what I call the narrative. Talk about, you know, the essence of your PD and your responsibilities and then the achievements. I'm looking for somebody that understands their value to the organisation. How many people did they lead? What was their budget? What, what did they achieve in terms of percentage increases, their cost savings, their project deliverables? What was it? So I'm looking for numbers. I'm looking for percentage signs up and down, dollar signs. I want to know that they think commercially. Good. And even, even if you are in the university sector, you are being funded by the taxpayer and by the student. You have an ob- you find it, follow the money. Who is paying your wage? So what is the value that you are delivering as an employee? So, you know, rewrote, you know, rewrote this, created this curriculum, um, managed this research project, delivered X number in grants money. What is it that is your achievement? How do you feel about individuals, especially in the university sector or public sector or large bricks and mortar institution that internally have always felt that they never had the ownership of the job or the, the project, even though they did it? You know, that feeling that people mm-hmm. have, you know, yes, I know I did all the work, but it wasn't my project. It was a team project. Well, you know how the candidate really always struggles? And I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but sometimes I'll ask somebody who I get a sense is, is capable and speaks a lot in we, you know, we did this and we did that. And that's a really, it's a genuinely uh, lovely and collaborative approach. And that's what I'm looking for. But I want to know what were you responsible for? So the question I ask, which often brings a smile to people's face because they're waiting to own something because they know they've done it, like you've just said, and that is, what do you know would not have happened if not for you? That's a very good way of putting it. If you were not in that team or there at that point of time, what would not have happened? Because convert, do you know what I mean? It's, you, you can own that without bragging. You know that if you weren't there, that would not have happened. Because conversely, we know that people that come out of high-performing organisations, you know, the stock market darlings or the, yeah. you know, they're always in the media, they're all, they're, you know, their shares are going up. You know, sometimes it's luck and timing that yeah. people have been in an organisation at the right time and the right place. Yes. But really that organisation would have shown whether they were there or not. And sometimes they come out with a sense of um, entitlement perhaps or they've got their own halo effect because they've got this brand attachment. But in fact, we have to dig deep and say, well, what did you actually do to contribute to that? No, it's it's a really tough one for many people, especially women, I find too. Yeah. Mm. So it's a good way of putting it. With, I think we're kind of at the tail end of this, aren't we? Can't remember anything else that we've agreed to talk about, but happy for you to maybe... Give our candidates and our listeners some ideas about post, the, let's say we go through these next 18 months, as the consultant said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the expert. You know, yes, expert said that 18 months will be the end of, of, you know, we will see some positive results. Let's say 18 months have gone by. We're at the end of 2021. How do you see? Slade Group and the recruitment world operating by then. I mean, it's hard. I know it's hard for you to to say, but I'm sort of hoping that, you know, with the 
conversations that you're having with your peers and or um, opportunities like yesterday when you were at the Victorian Chamber of Commerce doing the webinar, what is your feeling based on people that you're talking to about us being able to pick up the economy next year at least? The reason why I say that is that sometimes some of these people that have lost jobs have never taken a break ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, and sometimes it's okay to take a break. And what better time than now? I know you can't go anywhere, but you might as well enjoy where you are and Mm -hmm. make the most out of this. Make it a project. Make it as something Mm -hmm. that you can relax and and go with the flow rather than fight it. I don't, I, I'm, I'm torn between those two concepts yeah. of, yeah. I, I still think that if you are in a tough financial situation and you need a job, you do not give up. You mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. book your, your day as if you were working full time and you work with me, be it, you know, uh, in a coaching agreement or for free. I have enough free content for you to keep yourself occupied and keep applying for jobs because as, when you apply for jobs, you keep a finger on the pulse of the market and you know yeah. what's going on and you know how True. the position descriptions are being yeah. tweaked and, and, and yeah. where the jobs are happening, like you said, the industries that are still going, the ones that are not. So you're still you know, pretty much in the know. Whereas if you take a break, when you rise up again, you have some catching up to do. But for some people, this might be the opportunity to take a break. And I'm all for it as well. What do you think? Um, Gosh, that's another hour, I think, Renata. (laughs) I think because my mind... Time for that. You only have five minutes, Anita. I should have have put my list down and all the things I need to cover. I'm going to to jump to the end, which is something I've been considering. I think through COVID, because I don't know whether the experts are right in terms of 18 months, it might be five years. It might be a flat decade. Let's be, who knows? There's no cure for AIDS. I don't know what we're going to be living with. I honestly don't know. So if you are in a couple's relationship, if you are not on your own, I'm thinking that some people will be actually strategic about what that couple's profile looks like. So one will be in a secure job, and I can't tell you what that is right now, but you can do your own homework on that. And the other may come in and out, and they may change every decade. But the security of one income is really important at the time like this because I know, I know people now that where both incomes have been decimated or out. So being a bit strategic, I'm also suggesting to people that they leave their passion aside for the moment. Right now, you can reduce your anxiety if you just know you can cover your rent or your mortgage or food on the table and your bills. So let's put aside the need to find my passion and what I love to do. Let's look at the fundamental Maslow's housekeeping issues. And then as things change, we can revert back to, you know, having our heart in our, in our job as well as our minds. Um, and we have to find joy in other things right now. So I think that's something that I would like to just say to people and then I'd like to just talk about that fictional unemployment I love that word frictional but I don't know where it comes from but I've had it explained thank you economic theory (laughs) okay and I think for your for your uh, all the bodies out there who are in between roles 
right now that's a really hard place to be because you don't know how long that's going to be. And how often I have heard people go, I would have enjoyed my three or six months more if I knew that there was going to be this ending. Yes. Worrying about what the future holds takes away the pleasure of this career gap. And because we all dream of having three or six months off, don't we? We do all the time. And then we're giving it, not the way that we wanted it. Be careful what you wish for. That's right. And it's hard to enjoy it. That's right. So um, my heart goes out to you if you're in that situation. But if you can talk about it, if you're in a partnership with your other half and not fret about it, but make a plan for the worst. You know, what's your, what's your plan B? Maybe just enjoy your three months. <laughs> and then have a plan B if, you're, if, you're, if the employment market doesn't improve so that you can, you know, pay the rent, keep the mortgage, you know, keep the kids in school, whatever you're having to do, and, and pay your bills. This is, these are times like we've never had before. So not in our generation. It's not. And just because we think we have a blueprint for our life, that's in our head. Maybe we have Mm -hmm. to change that blueprint and just say, this is different now. And I'm going to learn something out of this. And I'm going to come out of it as a better person or a stronger person or a more resilient person. But the other thing too is we're speaking from the privilege of being in Australia, whereas you know my country, Brazil, it just compounds existing problems. So it's not like, you know, unemployment wasn't high before COVID. It just made it worse. So it just for many countries where people are listening to the podcast as well, it really does compound existing social issues, economic issues that the country was already experimenting and and the young people in Greece after the GFC Mm. you know tertiary qualified couples who had to go back to the grandparents farm on an island and become market gardeners for a couple of years there was nothing going but you have to be adaptable and flexible and look after what you can do today yeah I think it's I'm everybody I, I do I feel very much for you right now Well, Anita, thank you so much for your empathy, for all of your advice and your honesty as well about what's going on. And I'm sure that people will appreciate it because I think there's no point in, you know, making big claims about what's going to happen if we don't know. And most importantly, it's so great to have that insight from a recruiter's perspective of what happens when a candidate goes through the process. I think a lot of people will appreciate listening to this podcast and Mm -hmm. learning a little bit more about Mm -hmm. the recruitment and selection process. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much. And Renata, just to your potties, you are so lucky to have Renata guiding you through this. (laughs) Absolute talent. So thank you. Bye. Bye. I hope you found this episode useful and that it helps your job hunting and career plans. Don't forget to subscribe and follow me on social media and on your favorite podcast app. And please join the Reset Your Career community so I can send you free tools and resources to make your career advancement more successful. See you next time.